You're listening to the Maple Leafs Hot Stove Podcast with Ian Tullock and Anthony Petrielli. Welcome to the MLHS Podcast. My name's Ian Tullock, as always. I'm here with Anthony Petrielli, whose cottage Wi-Fi is going to make this a fascinating experience. But <laughs> more importantly, we have a guest with us here today, one of our favorites, mutual friend, Justin Bourne of Sportsnet and Hockey Central at Noon. How are you doing today, Justin? I'm good. Thanks, Ian. Also, that's the first time I've ever heard uh, Ian, or sorry, Anthony's last name pronounced. So I've been calling it saying Petrelli this whole time, but Petrielli? Petri- How am I saying that? You got to roll the R, man, like the true Italian version, like Petrielli, like Petri- just like pull out, <laughs> yeah, get it in. Yeah, yeah that's not happening. <laughs> I appreciate it, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so we're recording this the night after day one of free agency. So July 28th is the new July 1st because of this weird COVID season. There have been a lot of signings today. Uh, Not many fascinating ones on the Leafs end, but this is a hockey podcast. Anthony, I'll start with you. What did you want to discuss off the top here? Because there are a lot of different directions we could take this. So they didn't sign anyone of, you know, crazy significance. You could maybe argue Peter Mrazek. And I think everybody's looking at the team and I've seen, I've seen this going around a lot on Twitter. And it's like the, the basic reaction is like this team shit. And I think something's happening where people are just tired of seeing the same names on paper. And that was yep. the main thing I want to talk about because they, they still have Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. And I get that a lot of fans don't like them right now. Their, their top four defense is returning from last year. What was a really good defensive unit. I mean, at minimum, you should be able to hedge that Campbell and Mrazek should be a good tandem. I mean, it's not a bad team, but I think everyone's just tired of looking at the team. I think that's what's happening yeah. here. Yeah, no, there it, it is. It's like purely out of frustration. I don't disagree at all. I saw a lot of the same sentiment today, and then so I, I went to look at the roster and put it together as best I could, and I was like, oh, it looks pretty good. You know, like this yeah. is this is a team that was good looking to take the step to great. Um, did they take that step today? They did not. Um, but it wasn't good. That wasn't going to be easy. They didn't have the opportunity to take that step necessarily. Um, there's still some dominoes to fall, but yeah, I think still a good team. The point is though. Yeah. We've reached the, the limit on good being good enough. Right. So I guess the area where they spent most of their cap dollars today was Petter Mrazic. And we all knew that they were going to be targeting a one, a or a one B goaltender. The prices on goaltender was a lot higher than I thought they were going to be, especially when you see Allmark get $5 million over four years with Boston. See some of the other deals out there. So when I first saw Petr Mrazic's cap hit at $3.8 million, I was thinking, hmm, that's, that's a little bit high. I would have liked that a bit closer to $3 million. But I think when you look at the goalie market, I think teams are starting to realize that you really want two good goaltenders. And if you're going to pay two good goaltenders, the market for that seems to be increasing a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, I, I think there's a tendency to look at the list of available goalies and to go, wow, there's a lot of goalies out there. But like, you got to pick one, you know, and, and none of them stand out as like this obvious great goaltender who's going to play for you for $3 million. So of the list of guys who are available, getting Mrazic for 3.8, I think was nice. I think they did a good job. That sounds like a nice uh, backup or a guy who could take the reins if Campbell's hurt or struggling. Well, yeah, I think that was a nice signing. He comes from a uh, organization that kind of matches their defensive system sort of right I mean quite literally they've hired the assistant coach that oversaw their defense and penalty kill so like they should have a level of comfort there where they sit there and just say okay well he gets the way that we're going to want to play there shouldn't be anything foreign to him he's he should just essentially slot right in and hope you know that, that there's a transfer of the same style and environment and in front of him in a place that he was successful in. So I hear you, Ian. I thought the same thing at first. And I, I, you know, went through the list today and I'm like, honestly, who would I rather have signed? And the only guy that I, I'd mentioned just very quickly before we started recording that you could maybe make the argument for in my mind was Duranta who signed for very little, but I don't trust that guy to stay healthy even remotely. So yeah. do you, you know, trust Pedro Morazic to stay healthy? More than I do Ranta. But still also not very much. Yeah, just more than Ranta. <laughs> That's it. Here's the yeah. thing, though. Like, look around the league. Like, Carolina's got Anderson and Ranta. Both guys get hurt a lot. I mean, Kemper's getting hurt a lot. Cam- goalies get hurt now. Like, I don't know if it's the way they play or what, or maybe we're more careful with them, but you can't count on anyone to play 60. I mean, Carolina went Mrazic, went through Mrazic, Reimer, and Ned, and then switched to Ranta 
and uh, Anderson. I mean, the Leafs, the Leafs are like laughing it. in comparison, I think. Yeah. One thing I wanted to bring up about Morazic is that with goalies, personality and the mental aspect of the game is something that really comes into play. Much like pitching in baseball, it's all between the ears. You could be the best athlete in the world, but if you don't have the right headspace, you're not going to be able to make the save. Petr Morazic has notoriously been kind of a wild card throughout his life. He's been jumping into the boards after plays, you know, high-fiving his defenseman. Very enthusiastic guy. Personally, I love it. I love seeing more guys with personality in the NHL. I don't think we see it enough. But are you at all concerned that with that level of personality and not having played in a market like Toronto, that it's something that might affect him? It's not quite as even keel as a Frederick Anderson who seems to be able to brush it off super easily. Well, he has the advantage of being paired with the nicest man on earth as a goalie tandem. <laughs> this guy is like Zach Hyman's got the nicest, the best line mates in the world. He's gone from Matthews and Marner. Now he's in McDavid and Dreisaitl. Mrazic's coming with from James Reimer, and now he gets Jack Campbell? This man is a Hall of Fame niceness uh, goalie tandem, so he should be right at home. Top. Zach yeah, Hyman's the new Mike Knubel. Yeah. Did Knubel have good lines? I guess in Washington. Oh, he, oh uh, yeah. He had, he had Thornton. He had Forsberg in Philly. He had Ovi in Washington. Oh, wow. This, this guy's career is just incredible. Like, we, we should all be so lucky as to be yeah. Mike Knubel. Got to be doing something up, right to get those spots. Thanks for bringing up Most Zach Hyman, that. by the way, because – the replacement for Zach Hyman as of right now appears to be David Camp. Not ah, a fan of that. Uh, yeah. I, don't I don't know if that's I, the replacement. Yeah, you, the, you're not replacing him at all. And Michael Bunting may, may play a little bit of that role too uh, in his old spot with Marner and Matthews. We'll, we'll see, I guess. Um, Anthony, I just read your article on, uh, on your takes on Bunting. I'll let, instead of stealing them, I'll let you say them. Yeah, I mean, a nice enough player, but I mean, he could be Jimmy VC 2.0. He could be Nick Patan 2.0. He could be a late bloomer. Like, it, it would be really hard for anyone to say. I mean, Nick Patan had some productive stints and was really good in the AHL. I like the sort of things that Bunting brings. He's good in front of the net. His hand-eye coordination is good. At least he goes there. You mentioned Knubel. Yeah. He'll, he'll yeah. go there. He goes he there. Value. I mean, I don't know this firsthand, but I saw Paul Biznet was mentioning that he's a pretty mouthy player. And I have a lot of time for that. Uh, so I think there was a lot of good things, but just he, he is like a luxury signing to me. He's like, if this guy pans out, that's sick. Yeah. I don't yeah. know if he's going to keep shooting 26%. The inner oh, nerd sure he's in me. The shooter in the history of the league. It's fine. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> I mean, even if it, if, if it falls in half, I don't even know if he's a 13% shooter. I don't know what he is, you know, at the NHL level. So He's $950,000. It's low the, risk. The problem is it's not low risk though, because if he doesn't pan out, they have no depth. That's my thing in a vacuum. The 950 is no risk. The contract itself is no risk, but if he doesn't pan out, who's going up there? Well, you know, Elliot did tweet before we, we got on here about them having $3.5 million and looking to add a winger. You know, I, I like where he slots in. And again, you mentioned this in your article too, just about where he slots in if he's not the, the guy. And it's nice, right? You, you like seeing him in the third line or fourth line and able to move up if they add someone else. But yeah, three and a half million dollars out there. I mean, that you can get a pretty good player right now, I feel like uh, on the, in this market. So I'm, I'm not, I don't think the Leafs have shut, you know, kind of closed things up just yet. Thomas Tatar remains unsigned. And I know that Anthony is just rolling his eyes right now, but I'm sorry. He's been a first line winger in the NHL over the last three seasons. Part can of somebody the, go one on the best in lines the corners on this team. Can a single player go into the corners? <laughs> yeah, David Camp is going to go into the corners <laughs> yes, he is, for $1.5 yeah. million. Dollars. He's going to win faceoffs and play center. That's all he's going to do. He'll take as many shots as he wants, and none of them have a prayer of going in. Yeah. Why did they pay him $1.5 million? That was bizarre I, to me. He He's actually been very good defensively. I think people are a little bit misinformed on that one. He actually has been good as a checking center. It's really hard to find centers, like actual NHL centers. Are you know, we sure he's an yeah. NHL center? Yeah, yeah, he is. And he's a good face-off guy. Because you get people like Kerfoot where you kind of squint and say, yeah, he can play center but he's not really a center camp is actually a center and you can just play him with Mikheyev and Engvall. And now Engvall doesn't have to take face-offs anymore. And that's actually a really good checking line. 
You know what's disappointing is that we don't get to pretend that McKay is a top six guy anymore. It was fun for a bit being like, this guy <laughs> is Hyman. He will go get the puck, but he just cannot put the puck in the net. Like he can't he, shoot. He does everything well, but boy, he'd he not finish. And it just it goes to show what a valuable skill that is. You have these guys that don't do anything else, barely get around the ice and they shoot it in the net and they're valuable. Mike Hoffman gets money every year for that reason. Phil Kessel is the Hall of Fame version of that. You know, like we just shoot it in the net. I am not saying Kessel's that classic guy, but just the finishing is so important. McCann just can't do it a lick. See, I'll be the regression to the mean guy again here with uh, Bunting. I said there's no way he keeps shooting 26%. Mm-hmm. With Mikheyev, there's no way he keeps shooting 0% on two-on-ones, right? <laughs> at some point, these pucks are going to go in, not at an elite rate, not at the rate of a top six forward. But again, he had that ink, the, the wrist injury, and ever since then, the finishing hasn't really been there. But in his rookie season, he produced at a top six rate. I'm not saying he's a superstar, but if he sticks around, I've saw the rumors of the Leafs potentially trading him. I think this is the worst time to trade him because I think his shooting percentage has to climb up a little bit. No, go look at the goals there. that he scored at like in that rookie year. I, I went back and looked and he scored like eight goals, but three of them were like wide open nets. Like one was like Jimmy Howard tried to outrace him to a puck and he just beat him in a race and walked around You're going to get him. those if you play with Tavares, oh, Marner, yeah. or Matthews, Neal. Well, and you skate like he doesn't work like he does. You're going to yeah. create some that are just lucky. But like, I think one of the goals was an actual shot where he beat a goalie, if I yeah. recall correctly. Yeah, and like that nice. is why his shooting percentage is low. Like he just he can't. And the goal was a breakaway against Washington. And I think yeah, he yeah, never it. snipes anyone, but he gets himself to the dirty areas and he's there to score a thirty goal rate because he's just no, there I'm, all the I'm time. Beats goalies, man. Go look at some of his goals this year. That one where he went like end to end against Winnipeg, like he just straight up beat Hellebuck. Yeah, the thing with Hyman is there's no deception, so he'll get a lot of looks yeah. and he'll shoot it. And if the goalie misses it, it'll go in. If he places it great, it might go in. But, like, he's never going to drop a shoulder, throw it. And meanwhile, Mikheyev, I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> I got no excuse for his shooting. Just uh, a shooting not, coach, not man. Like, just just shoot pucks against your uh, basement wall all, all summer. <laughs> Born, let me ask you one thing. You're Kyle Dubas right now. You're in the war room. You you get to give him a list of two or three guys that you want to target with this $3.5 million that you have. You've talked about shooting the puck in the net. You've talked about guys who can play with a Matthews, with a Tavares. I know we're all hoping that Nick Robertson could potentially provide some value in the top six, but it's very unlikely at this age that he actually does it. Who are some guys that you think could provide some of that value in Toronto's top six, especially on the left wing side? Yeah, you know, one of the things that stood out in the in Elliot's tweet was like not talking about UFAs, you know, like what's available out there in trades a bit and find someone who retain some salary. Um, you know, these are go for it times. Are they not like we have, they, they picked three times in the draft because they've been going for it. I think it's clear uh, that this, these are go for it times. I wonder if there's not someone that's a little bit more expensive out there and a little bit more of a name guy that you get to eat some money and, and flip a pick, uh, some, some sort of prospect. I you can't give any names off the top of my head, but left wing does come to mind. So I would start at that position, start scouring the market and say, all right, who, you know, who would be someone we could pry free on the left side? Anthony, who's your guy? I would like to at least circle around on Brandon Saad. I know they don't have huge cap space, but I would I would be willing to give him an extra year or two. Like he was he was on Chicago's top line for two of their cups. Like alongside Taves and Host. I mean, he was the worst player of the mm. three, but he would be in that similar situation. Yeah. Like there's no shame in that. And if he was playing with Matthews and Marner, he would again be the worst player of the three. And I know, uh, don't tell me about Hart. There was a tweet from way back in the day about like, hey, is Brendan Saad better than Austin Matthews? And everyone made fun of it. And then the team that he ends up working for ends up acquiring Brendan Saad, lo and behold. So, but, but to be I'm clear, who's better between Austin Matthews and Brendan Saad? Because that was a I'm super tweet. I'm starting to think it might be Austin Matthews. I'm starting to think it might be him. Tough to say, you know? Hmm. There were other moves today that didn't involve the Toronto Maple Leafs. Which one yeah, of them so was the most ahead. interesting for you? Probably Dougie Hamilton with New Jersey. I feel like this is a team that is going to try to turn this around. The thing that gets me all the time with teams that bottom out is like, you, you can't just draft you good players and think your team is going to win a cup, let alone make playoffs. Like you need to do other things. Once you get a few top prospects, um, you know, we've seen a lot of teams bottom out the Sabres, the Arizona bottomed out, you know, 
Edmonton is another example. It's not guaranteed to come all the way back around. So I like that New Jersey's like, all right, we need to start adding some big pieces. Dougie Hamilton's one. Um, you know, that, that, that's the easy one that comes to mind for me. How about you, Anthony? Tampa Bay just kills me. Oh, like, Zach Bogosian deal? Bogosian. Point re-signing. Who I love. I mean, there was a, there was a span there of like five minutes where Boston brought back or, re, or signed, not re-signed. They signed Nick Foligno and the Braden Point contract was announced. And I was just like, it's just torture being a fan of this team. And then you go <laughs> and you look at the Marner contract on Cap Friendly and you're just asking yourself, why? Why do I do this? Yeah, and it's just stunning. But I like I, I like Belmar. Like, he's a useful utility guy that, like, he knows his role and he knows what he's doing in the league. He's he's a good player. I would have been happy with him uh, for that number and Bogosian. And, and they just have, like, little ways where they're refilling – I, obviously, the Coleman contract won't age well, but I've actually been kind of intrigued by Calgary's overall uh, addition so far. I like Tyler Pitlick as you know that depth kind of guy. I like Pittsburgh replacing Tanev with Brock McGinn. Daryl Sutter, that's what's happening in yeah. Calgary. They're just giving him the guys to play the way he wants to play. Yeah, I think the funniest one there is um, I haven't seen a coach actively criticize his group of centers more than I've seen Sutter do it in his like short time there, like he, he was walking to press conferences and he'd be like, our centers suck. Like we can't compete <laughs> and they haven't done anything at center. I mean, they've, they've done things around the roster, but at like Sean Monahan and Elias Lindholm and you, you're going to compete. I don't know about that, but. Is Calgary going to retain 50% on good row to get them to, to, to Toronto? What do they have to send to Calgary to get uh, <laughs> to, to make Daryl Sutter happy? God, wouldn't that make you mad too, Anthony? Just another guy who won't go in the corners? <laughs> oh, it, it just, they need some versatility, man. They just need some guys that can do other things. Hey, speaking of versatility, Cody Cece on a pairing with Duncan Keith with Connor McDavid. <laughs> I just I feel bad for the best player in the world at this point, man. I just I, I he's in the West, so as a Leafs fan, and it shouldn't even bother me that much. But I just want McDavid to have a supporting cast where he can be the best player in the world, and Ken Holland refuses to let it happen, and it's disappointing to say the least. They also had to get rid of Ethan Bear because you're not allowed to have three good puck moving right-handed defensemen, which again I just don't understand. I can like at once recognized that the, what the Oilers have done over the past, I don't know, two weeks has been just atrocious. It's been awful, awful, awful GMing. I it truly, you know, they just, they made their team significantly worse for a higher cost. However, I can look at their roster and see a team that makes playoffs next year and annoys people, you know, like I, you know, they add Zach Hyman and uh, you know, Fogel up front to a group that had a lot of pieces you know, their forward group is pretty good. I can talk myself into them making the playoffs as bad as that decor is in the moves a bit. Yeah, I mean, Zach Hyman can actually play with top six talent and how many wingers have the Oilers had who can play with star players? Warren Fogle is a guy we brought up in this podcast a few weeks ago in terms of trying to find a Zach Hyman replacement, a guy who can go into the corners, as we mentioned, forecheck, backcheck, paycheck, that kind of can't player. finish. <laughs> Although I shouldn't say Hyman scores a lot, but <laughs> hey, he'll have enough empty nets with Dry Saddle and McDavid passing him back doors. So I'm I'm sure that shooting percentage right. will lift up a little bit. But yeah. honestly, I think the biggest storyline right now with the Leafs still, and I will just I will just ride this train until the day something happens, is what's going on with Morgan Riley. Like mm-hmm. there's no way that you've you've kept him now through the draft and the start of free agency. You can't be trading him now. If, if they extend him, are you happy with that? They give him for five years times six and a half or something like he, it's a seven by the... seven, not yeah. if it was seven by seven, but if it was five years by six and a half, I would be fine with that. Then the saga's over and you move on with your life. Yeah. And then figure out how to deal with it next summer. Yeah. But like, if they get to, if they get to like Christmas and this guy's still on the team and like, has like his contract is about to expire based on how the last few weeks have gone down. Yeah, yeah, I don't disagree. He he can't be with like five months left on his contract. This really does feel like the whole there. He, Kyle Dubas, likes this hockey team. He likes what he's built here. He believes they've been unlucky. Morgan Riley's under contract. No reason he can't play for them this hockey season. I think it might just happen as much as that would be uh, foolhardy. 
I do have, I am into like criticism zone with the amount of like Sue love that, uh, that Dubas has and also just love for players he's had and players he's seen the familiarity and almost nostalgia. Like, I don't know, but he does love this team and he's sticking with it one way or the other and the players he used to coach. Or and I know manage. you've worked with Kyle Dubas before, obviously. So you have a relationship there. I've never met him personally. I just idolize him and base all of my hockey opinions on the philosophy that he tries <laughs> to build things on. So, you know, I feel like yeah, yeah. I know him, but the Sue thing drives me insane because with 200 hockey men, what are our biggest criticisms in the nerd world? It's this idea that you have your guys. It's this idea that despite evidence, despite objectively looking at things, you're going to be biased towards guys that, you know, guys that you've worked with in the past, It's this old boys club, all these guys have known each other since junior. And you're just going to, you're going to ride or die with those guys. I got mad when Mark Hunter did it with a Nicholas Matinin in the sixth round. I get mad when guys do it on other teams. And Kyle Dubas does it a lot with the Sioux Greyhounds. When it works out, that's great. And when they're underrated puck movers who the market might be a little bit lower on and the Leafs can find a market inefficiency, that's great. When it's a guy just consistently going back to the team that he used to run in junior, that frustrates me personally. You guys should have seen the the dressing room the day Tyler Gaudet scored a sick goal for the Coyotes. I mean, it was like PD Pablo Pablo raise up. I mean, shirts off, towels waving. Like it, they Tyler Gaudet scoring the NHL. They're like, oh goody, goody, you know, like they, they they're guys, right? And they, I mean, I don't know for for better or for worse. And they tracked you know Anthony D'Angelo's every move because they knew you know what he was like and. For I don't know why it is, but they certainly are interested in the people that have that have been on their teams before. What What is the point of their whole analytics department? Like, how many people are there now? <laughs> and and just by chance, the only people that they continue to unearth all happen to play for the Sault Ste. Marie Greyhounds in the OHL. It's tough to argue like, that Bunting didn't fit the mold for what they needed. At this he point, did, but he did. Yeah. It's just, yeah. it, it's just like, it's all the time now that you just, you look at the list, like you want to be an insider. You just like, who's available that has its connection to the Sioux. Yeah. I would start tying it to the Marlies and anywhere, the Pembroke, wherever, if they've had them before, they love them. Yeah. And then who are the players that he's acquired without much of a connection? Tyson Berry and Alex Kerfoot. I think we know how that one turned out. Hey, they love Kerfoot. I wouldn't be shocked if he's on the roster to start next year, which, by the way, speaking of players that we don't want to see on the roster again next season, what's with the fascination with Alex Kerfoot? Because aside from seven strong playoff games, I thought he was terrible this year. You know, I said going into last season that how he played would kind of determine how good that team was going to be. Of course, it hinged on many more things than that. But if he was a great player for them, and got, gave them value on the three and a half and kind of anchored a third line at center. Like things would look so different. It didn't happen. So I'm not going to argue with your assessment of the overall season that it wasn't great, but you know, he, I like a lot of what he's doing. I wish he were just a bit bigger. I really do. Cause he I like shoot. the way. Yeah. Like I like the way he works. I like the way he skates. I like the way he thinks he has so many good moments, but yeah, like he just doesn't quite, yeah, not a pure finisher, not a, not quite big enough to do it. Not sure if he's ever, maybe he'll get some old man strength and some old man anger and he'll be a little bit better. But I think he's kind of is what he is at this point. The weird thing about him is I think on the third line, he's pretty bad in that role. Cause he has to be arguably the best player on that line, at least on this team. But on the second line, all he has to do is skate fast and forecheck and back check. Mm-hmm. So my theory is that he works best with Nylander because off the rush, they're able to do things together with their speed, with their passing ability, bit of connective tissue passing off the rush. When Kerfoot's forced to play on that third line, like you said, I don't know, him alongside a Mikheyev, alongside an Engvall, his passing ability, what's the point of passing it to a guy who can't do anything with that pass? But if he can pass it to William Nylander in open space, who now does something off the rush with that space, I think it makes a bit more difference. Now, obviously, quality of line mates matters. If you get to play with top six, top line talent instead of Ilya Mikheyev and Pierre Engvall and Wayne Simmons and other guys you got to play with, obviously, results are going to be better. But the things that Kerfoot is best at, it's transitioning, it's passing. And those are also strengths of William Nylanders. I'm wondering if he needs to be playing with someone who can kind of keep up with him off the rush. Yeah, and the good news, uh, I think you're right. The good news, too, is that I think the lineup forces him into a top six role this year. Like, that, he's going to be with 
a top line. So uh, this is a chance for him to have one of those seasons where the, the Dubas trade for uh, you know, the Cadre trade looks not too terrible. They need, they need Kerfoot to be decent this year and he's going to be in a good spot to have a good year. The real, the reality is he can, he can probably adequately play beside Tavares and, and Nylander and for three and a half million dollars, if he does a good job on the second line, I mean, score 50 points. He, yeah, can he get 50 he, points there? Then he's worth the money. If you give him too much credit, Ian, on the passing, because every two-on-one he had in the playoffs, I was just like, there's nothing. There's nothing. It, like, he couldn't make a play. It should be, we should create a team of the greatest players who can create chances and then not do much finishing-wise. Like, the, was it Michael Grabner or Hagelin? Oh, Grabner. Scoring great Grabner. Grabner's Hall of Fame. Grabner's Hall of yeah. Fame. But then every, every few years he would just, like, black out and learn how to score on a breakaway. Yeah, you know how it is. You and the goalie enough, you get lucky a few times in a year or whatever. You create enough chances, you think they're going to go in. But Kerfoot and Mikheyev both kind of fall in that class for me of guys who like get a lot of looks. Uh, you know, not not pure finishers by any means. I think Mikheyev will have a Grabner year one. I don't know if it'll be next year, but I think at some point I do in too. his career. He'll hey, have Ian called it. Tw- 20 goals this year. Ilya Mikheyev. More than whatever he had last year because it can't get worse, can it? I would like to be clear that I still really like the player. I know I recognize oh, I the shortcomings, but I still really like the player. By but, the way, before we let Bourne get out of here to write his his book, which I'm really looking forward to. I didn't realize that was a thing. The Great Gatsby too. It's coming. Yeah, man, just trying to copy Steve Dangle and all of his life choices here, but <laughs> very differently <laughs> themed, I assure you. <laughs> if Kerfoot's playing in the top six as a winger, who the heck plays third line center? Is Pierre Engvall your three C again? Our boy uh, uh, Petrelli's got Camp in there, yeah. Yeah, it'll be Camp. Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, oh Camp God, is a center, David. man. What are you talking about? He is a center. I don't know why you're On fighting the third this. line of a team that wants to <laughs> contend. But it's not a real – it's the third and fourth line are going to platoon. They're going to run it the way St. Louis did when St. Louis won the Cup, where they're just going to be heavy on the top six. And those third and fourth lines are going to play like – 10 to 13 minutes depending on the game situation but you've broken this down you can't realistically compete for a cup that way you need a third line you can but if you're like i said the st louis model but they have to trend closer to 13 minutes each both of those bottom two lines as opposed to 10 minutes each or under 10 minutes where you just have like an absolute sham of a line you're gonna have a bottom six line who doesn't score and plays low event hockey we all expect that that's gonna happen On the bottom six line that does try to score, who the heck is Jason Spezza passing it to? Wayne Simmons? Well, that's why I think if they fill out the three and a half mil properly and Michael Bunting is on the fourth line with Spezza, yep. I actually think Better. that's a pretty good fourth line and potentially with Brooks as their center. I, and you uh, know that Simmons I, will come in because Keith just hates Pierre Ingval with a passion. So it'll <laughs> he'll be just like the instant, like, I've had enough of you for like three weeks, Simmons, like you're in. I was just going to say, it's the Bourne theory where you just got to like bench him once or twice and then he comes out and is your best player. So I don't know what's yeah, bizarre you with him. Push that button so much. Engvall is going to be the guy who gets traded at intermission one day. Like Keith is going to oh, lose yeah. his shit. Yeah. And they're going to make him change into a suit and they're going to trade him so far away, like to some irrelevant team for nothing. Because uh, he does. He gets wildly frustrated. But I was on Good Show uh, earlier this week, and JD was talking about a Kyle Dubas presser where he's talking about potential guys coming, and he was like, "Yeah, and like Semyon Durargan Chintsev," and it's like, "Boy, I hope no one gets hurt on this team. It it falls off pretty sharp, uh, sharper than it used to in the the depth pool from below." That's the risk of the bunting deal. So I know everyone. That's why I've been saying, like, I know everybody's sitting there saying there's no risk on the deal. The risk is for the team itself having no depth and being shitty. It's not the yeah. contract itself like coming back to bite them in their ass. Actually, I, I said that I was going to ask you that one last thing, but I'm just scrolling through names here. And Joshua Hosang, someone I've always been fascinated in. I know you follow the Islanders really closely, Justin. What are your thoughts? Because I know he's a, he's a controversial player, but I've always been obsessed with his zone entry numbers at every level, whether it's the AHL where he was the best zone entry wizard or the NHL, where even in his short stint with the Islanders, Every time he had the puck, he carried it in and he made a pass after crossing the blue line. There are off ice factors that have prevented him from getting to this point. But I I like taking a bet on talent like this. I'm curious what your opinion is as someone who follows the Islanders very closely. What's what's really hard for me, like, you know, I I loved the pick when they made it. And then right around then I got the job to go work with the Marlies. And I saw him play in the American League for two years. And like he was outright 
bad, like ineffective, un, not noticeable. You, usually those young guys with skills, uh, they struggle. And then you see a moment, you're like, oh, like if that happens a lot, I can see like I did, it didn't happen for me. But I have heard and read that those moments have happened more as he's gotten older. And I, you know, I, I think the Galchenyuk thing may be kind of disillusioned. Well, again, there's no risk. So I shouldn't say they think he's going to be that. But I, I don't. If the Leafs I rebuilt Joshua I Hosang. I don't see it. Yeah, exactly. I just. Galchenyuk played 500 games in the league before he came here. And he had a 30 yeah. goal season. Like, I, yeah. I just, I get a kick out of people comparing the two. It's just, there's no comparison to be made. One of them is an actual NHLer, right? So I, I mean, I hope I hope Hussein finds lightning in a bottle, but I I have not seen it with thine own eyes. I like betting on guys with the high zone entry numbers, you know, like the William Nylanders of the world. And obviously, he's not as good as William Nylander, but even bottom six version. No. Let's go with a Brendan Leipzig, a guy who at the AHL level was a little slippery zone entry machine, and then he came to the NHL as a bottom six zone entry machine and. Had some off ice stuff that prevented him from continuing to be an NHL player. So yeah, and when you're when you're telling me about guys' zone entry numbers in the A, there's nothing that puts my radar off more than that player's bad. Hey, I'm just looking at a stat that I find predictive of future success. My apologies. (laughs) Yeah, I I had trouble. I have trouble knowing what AHL numbers mean because I never know when where they come from. That's you know things have obviously changed since I've been there. It's been three, four seasons now. So I don't know, but there wasn't any quality quantification that wasn't coming from team guys when I was there. And That's and my cool. question for Hosang would be like, can you play five on five in the league? Because the Leafs are like about the absolute last team that you're going to make an impact on the power play on. Yeah. And what if you play him with Spezza? If no, the, the second power play unit barely plays unless they start splitting the units and whatever. No, I but, mean, I mean, a five on five where Spezza passes him the puck and lets him go. Is anyone playing defense on that line or is it just, I mean, sheltered, you know, <laughs> that, that's what I mean about five on five though. Like if like he has to take shifts five on five, like if you think you can just play around on the, on the power play, like that's, that's American league hockey. At some point, defense is a component of five-on-five five player evaluation, and maybe that's why he isn't in the NHL right now. I don't know. I'm just—I've gone through all the stats, and my nerds, my fellow nerds online, have always believed in Ho Sang. Maybe it's the Julius Honka thing. Maybe I just want to believe in this thing that isn't actually going to happen. But I don't know. Me and my AHL zone entry numbers. Apparently, it's a thing. But he's skilled enough to play in the league. I, like I don't—I don't question that. I'm sure Born would love to sit here and talk about Ho Sang for another 20 minutes, but, but we'll let him go. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks a lot. And um, yeah, have me back anytime. I enjoy it. Sounds good. You can listen to him on Hockey Central at noon. Read him at Sportsnet. He's a great guy. Justin Bourne, thanks for joining us, man. Thank you. Later, fellas. So with Ho saying again, I'll, I'll stop it here and we'll move on to another topic. I just... I always like trying to look for very specific indicators that show this guy is going to succeed in the future with bunting. You're looking at his finishing with camp. You brought up his face off ability in his defense with Hosang, It's his puck transporting ability. There's something I see in him where even though the other skills are very clearly lacking and there are factors off ice that are resulting in people having a, a poor evaluation of the player. I want someone, you brought up the idea of specialists in the past. I think mm-hmm. he could be a a trans a puck transporting specialist in a sheltered line at the NHL level. And I want to see if it works because I don't know if he got a long enough leash in Long Island. And I'm not sure how much of the leash had anything to do with hockey. I think I think he'll have to make some concessions on his game if he wants to be an actual NHLer. So like like even if we talk about Jason Spezza, and it's Jason Spezza. I mean, he's he's had an unbelievable career. And, but he's not just an offensive player for the Leafs. He's a face-off specialist for them, too. Like He does a few other things for them as well. And not just PK. stick on PK the power play. Guy. Right? So he he brings a few other things to the table. And the reality is, is if maybe if Hosang was a left winger, he might even get a look one day up the lineup. But he's not doing it as a right winger. Fun exercise here. You brought it up off the top. Let's Let's do it again. What's your Leafs lineup as of right now? We can insert left winger. Let's assume they sign one more left winger of somewhat significance, maybe a second line player, Mike Thomas Tatar, yeah. whoever, someone who fits that mold. Build the Leafs lineup for me right now. It would be insert left winger, Matthews Marner, 
Kerfoot, Tavares, Nylander, the checking line of Engvall, Kampf, and Mikheyev. Oh, and then it would be... don't like that. No, it's a good checking line, man. It's basically the equivalent of when they had Riley Nash, except Camp can it's actually not an take NHL faceoffs. Third line, though. It's not. I don't think of it as like a a third line, but then the fourth line would then be Bunting, Spezza, and Simmons. See, the fact that you have to have Simmons on one of these lines messes things up, in my opinion. Just because I've I've told if- you that since the second they signed him, like I just I don't understand the fit. And you brought up the two-year factor, and they never, they never took him out of the lineup last year, aside from injury, much like Joe Thornton. I just they didn't re-sign Joe Thornton, I think, for that reason. But they did re-sign Wayne Simmons. Element of team toughness. Maybe those are factors that me, as a nerd, I never take into account. I'm very underwhelmed with the moves that Toronto has made over the last couple of weeks. I know I made my Jared McCann thoughts known. I wasn't the only nerd who freaked out about that, but. I'm very underwhelmed with the moves that Toronto has made over the last couple of weeks. I know I made my Jared McCann thoughts known. I wasn't the only nerd who freaked out about that, but day one of free agency is never where you want to make the biggest splash. The smartest signings in free agency tend to happen the next day. And for day two, day three, day seven, day 30, day 60, those are when the best contracts are signed because the players don't have it leverage anymore, and the team can offer them a one-year contract for much less than they're worth, a prove-it deal, and then that guy ends up playing really well for you. That's where you get your Mason Raymonds. That's where you get your Thomas Vanix. That's where you can get really undervalued players, and that's where I hope you can find a Thomas Tatar or someone of that ilk who can play some left wing for you. But I'm going through the lineup right now, man, and I just don't like it, and I thought I would. Well, well, this was the thing that I started the, the podcast with. I think people are just tired of looking at the names Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Nylander. Well, those and... were always going to be there, though. I mean, no, I know, but I think press conference, I think you're fooling yourself if you thought they were going to trade one of them. Oh, I never did. But I just think of people, uh, those names don't have the same cash that they once did when people read them. Because before people used to look at that and say, this is unbelievable. Like, look Murderers at these top two roll. lines. Those and are two first lines. What are you yeah, going to do with that? Leafs have two first lines. Pick your poison. This is sick. And now everyone looks and they're basically saying, I can't, like, you know, these guys just, whatever, they piss me off. I don't trust them. Any number of things people are thinking. So I, I think there's a mental block there. I'm actually a little bit higher on the team than most, which is funny because it always seems like I'm the negative guy. But I, they've always wanted a checking line under Keefe. I've always said that. That was why they Are acquired Riley Nash. Are you going to put Mikheyev, Kamp up against the other team's top line? You're going to put them against Kucherov? Not always. Against but Barkov? To, but to take some shifts, yeah, I think you do. I think you at least come out and try my that. My boy Taylor Hall in Boston. Oh, you put him against one. Nick Felino in Boston. Against Taylor Hall, no questions asked. I wouldn't even blink on that one. The Bergeron line, maybe different story, but I think you come out and you try them. Mikheyev is a legitimate beast defensively. He is. He works his bag off. Engvall is also a beast. That line is like 6'5", 6'3", 6'2". It's a huge line. They can long move. sticks, long wingspan. They they cover ground. They yeah, suffocate you in the neutral zone. All, all you're telling them to do is make the other top lines work and tire them out and don't get scored on. And they've had it, a but successful But they're not going to score. And at some point, goal differential is the sport. So the fact that your third line can't score at all. I do think so. But I think their fourth line has potential to be I think a guy like Bunting to me is going to be a drag on that line, man. I got to be honest. If Spezza with two guys who can score, I like Spezza with one guy who can score and a defensive specialist. I like Spezza with a guy who can score and Wayne Simmons, I think is not the best use of that roster spot. But again, there's probably no point in me. I can't even get my, my words out because I'm so frustrated right now looking at this lineup going, man, this could have been better. And I'm not a fan of where it's at right now. I hear you and I agree. I, I'm trying to partly justify it too and think about what they're thinking. I'm at least interested to give Spezza and Simmons a longer look together because it's not like Simmons is a bum his whole career. Simmons made a career playing in the top six alongside skilled players. When like, was the last year he had a positive impact at five on five? He's never really been great five on five. You probably look and say, but you're just saying on a fourth line role, can you just forecheck and get the puck back to Spezza? So I think there's some utility there. I don't even know if you can do that though, because you need to complete a pass to do that. I, I, hey, I agree. I think it's possible that their fourth line, the best iteration, might actually be Bunting, Brooks, and Spezza. I'm trying to find a way to get Nick Robertson on there too, maybe. 
potentially I would give I would give Robertson the first like I wouldn't even touch him until like after Christmas yeah I think you're gonna try to see if he can work with a Matthews or with a Tavares because if he can that actually weirdly can solve some problems in your lineup and then you can have Kerfoot on the third line where by the way it's not as valuable as he would be in the top six but at least you have more good players in the bottom half of your lineup this is such a top six bottom six divide I'm concerned yes well, the other the other point to that I was going to make is they're actually they're asking their top line to be like the best line in the league. And in fairness, they pay them to be the best line in the league. So, you know, like they're paying for it. They have to they have to deliver like that. That is part of their end of the bargain. And if you have a top line, that's like one of the best lines in the league. And to be fair, they honestly they should be. Matthews is the best goal scorer in the league. Marner is one of the better wingers in the league. I know people don't like him that much anymore, but that, like he should be a perennial 100 point guy. How many guys can score at a 90 point rate while being a PK one guy? Well, like there are things he does that other players don't do, and that's why he has value. It's yeah. The frustrating thing is that it's not 11 million dollars worth of value. It's closer to nine, nine and a half, and people would be much happier if it was around there. And and that's inherently the problem. But you know, just that main point of they're asking them to be one of the top lines in the league, and they're asking Tavares and, and Nylander to just absolutely make lines pay and get them starts and put them in situations where they should just make life hell on teams and become a a huge matchup problem. Like, I don't think the recipe is out of the question when you're just basically saying like the Leafs aren't the first team ever to just say, we're going to have a pure checking third line. It's actually more common than not, to be honest. Yeah, but if you look at teams who have had success in the playoffs and won Stanley Cups, you did this exercise recently, and I think it was an important exercise because it showed on a third line, you have a guy who should absolutely not be there. And the Leafs right now have three guys who should be there. And that's a problem. I I wouldn't. Yes, it is 100%. Like they need, if Spezza takes a step back, and we've talked about this before, Spezza just falls off a cliff because he's old which is totally on the table as a thing. I mean, they're, they're, they're in pro- like their problems here. Like they're going to be in trouble because they're the fourth line is, ba- is basically Spezza better get us some points. Yeah. The fourth line is Spezza carry us. I don't know who you're he, playing with today, but try to score at an elite rate because you did last year. The entire bottom six really is Spezza. We hope you can score. <laughs> and I, I can handle one checking line, but then they're, they're going to need like a real, line in, in that group and and whether bunting helps them get there whether robertson takes a step the problem is these are all hopes like it's it's not a it's not a good concrete plan you know if you i get what they're trying to do you know trying to articulate that to some degree if you were asking me how i would have handled it i would have handled it much different i would have looked for guys that give you some versatility and some guys that you can you know i don't mind camp in a in a vacuum as a checking center if My they problem. signed him for $800,000, I probably wouldn't be this frustrated. I just have no clue why he gets one and a half million. That, that to me is such an overpay. I mean, okay, okay so Belmar got a mill. But really, other than that, did any NHL centers go for under $2 million today? If that's the case, do you want to be paying that? But then again, you need centers. This is your point. You need NHL centers. Kind of like we we joke that the Edmonton Oilers need NHL wingers or the Jets need NHL defensemen. And the Jets have had the best offseason of any Canadian team. Can can I bring that up? Yeah, I like what they did on defense. But that's insane. The fact that this team that's been mismanaged for the last five years has a better offseason than a team like the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, for all intents and purposes, are supposed to be one of the well-run teams in the NHL. Jets acquire players that fit their needs. They got Brendan Dillon, who can play defense. They exposed Dylan DeMello and magically got to keep him still. So that was a stroke. But Mason of Appleton is, is good though. I get claiming. Yeah, that's I, fair. I that's Appleton. fair. But I, I, they should have lost DeMello. I think though, the fact that they exposed him over Logan Stanley, I had a joke with one of my close friends about how I, I said this months ago. I'm like, you realize they traded up for Logan Stanley in the draft. They're going to protect him over DeMello and it's going to drive you insane. He said, no, they're not dumb enough to do that. They did it. And they still they got to Logan keep DeMello. Stanley. It's they have Nate Schmidt. They have Dylan DeMello. They have Brendan Dillon, Josh Morrissey, Neil Pionk. And I'd love to say Ville Hainola, but we all know it's going to be Logan Stanley. It's a nice They defense. have six NHL defensemen. All of a sudden, the Jets have six NHL defensemen. I don't know when it happened, but it happened. My, my issue with Camp, and to be honest, the general makeup of their bottom six, is other than maybe Spezza, well, Spezza, not maybe Spezza, to be firm, 
Spezza and maybe Michael Bunting. That was why I said maybe, because I was thinking about him. There's no guys that you can really like move up to play with the top six, like the top players on the team or conversely move one of them down to the third line. And it wouldn't oh, be where, Where's your faith in Michael Amadio and Curtis Gabriel? Zero. And but, that six foot 12 guy they signed. So, so my thing is, so let's say you have Engvall and Mikheyev on the third line. Like you can't put Nylander there. Like it would, it would be embarrassing. It wouldn't be fair it, to him. It, and then it plus it, it, the last thing Keith needs is an excuse to give Nylander fewer minutes. Yes. And so, so if you're asking me like my strategy going in of which is what I've always been trying to articulate on this podcast going in is versatility and having a bunch of players that you can mix and match. And I've continued to try to talk about, you know, the ability to have a guy go down and carry a third line. But right now, when I look up the makeup of their forward group, I have a really difficult time reconciling moving a guy to the third line and playing him with two of those forwards and also putting a forward up to play with potentially like John Tavares and Alex Kerfoot to a point where you're like, this is not terrible, but it would be terrible. They're going to spend two to $3 million on a winger here to play in the top six. Kerfoot's either going to play left wing in the top six as well, or he's going to be a three C with Mikheyev and Engvall. Is that a, a trio that you throw out there and feel decent about? Cause I've, I've never liked Maybe. the way those three played with each other. I wouldn't really understand the, the signing of camp then if you're going to have him fourth line center, Jason Spezza. Yeah. That those two shouldn't be on the same line. And, and that's my issue. It's, it's the versatility um, that's been, that's been missing here. Mikheyev, Engvall, Camp is the one that you brought up. Mikheyev, Engvall, Simmons weirdly worked extremely well according to the numbers. So maybe you go with that and you go Camp with Spezza and Nick Robertson or Bunting or someone who can score. But I don't know. I'm just trying to rationalize my thoughts right now because you know me, I, I, I'm an emotional guy in the moment, but I like to actually think about things and then present myself as someone who has thought about these things rationally. There's a lot of emotion today because we're still within 24 hours. And my dad has this rule. Whenever there's a huge fight or whenever tensions get high, you take 24 hours, you sleep on it. And then the next day you actually try to rationalize your feelings. So maybe tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll be able to look at this in a different light. But as of 9:26 PM on Wednesday night here on July 28th, I'm disappointed in the Toronto Maple Leafs and I, and I find it hard to have any other conclusion. Yes. They addressed the goaltending position. They were always going to do that. They had the cap space to do it. They didn't overpay for an all mark. They didn't overpay for any of these guys, but the goalie market was high and they paid fair market value for a Petter Morazic. They paid one and a half million dollars to David camp. They're always paying a little bit more than you'd like to see them pay. And I think when you do that every single time, you end up with a roster that's much closer to league average than it should be. I know someone joked that if everyone's making fair value money, you're going to have a, a, a league average team. That's, just, that's how salaries work. But if you have an elite player, maybe they outperform that contract and that's how you make some, you, you make some, some ah, you make up some ground there. I, I, I'm so frustrated. I'm very frustrated right now, and it's coming through in my tone. It's coming through in my inability to form a, a coherent sentence here. But I want the Leafs to add good players, and I didn't see them add too many good players over the last week. I think, I think the toughest thing to probably come to terms with is they did have some issues with depth scoring and versatility, and they haven't done anything to address that. And, and you can't call Michael Bunting addressing it. I mean, he's the closest they have, right? Yeah. And, and that's why, that's why I keep saying to people, it is a risky contract. It's not a risk in terms of the dollars and figures. It's a risk in terms of the problems that it creates for the team. If he sucks. So I think what you need is you need a bunch of those guys, right? You need Nick Robertson. You need bunting. You need this left winger that they're going to acquire. You need another guy. You need a plan. A, B, C, D, E, F, G. You need Alex Galchenyuk and like another guy. Yeah, yeah, because you don't know what's going to work. So you need all these lottery tickets to hope that one of them works. I know they Two, hoped Jimmy VC was going to work last year. They're like, hey, it's okay. We have elite quality of line mates. We can take this bottom fourth line player, third line player who has shooting upside, play him alongside these guys and see if it works. So I wouldn't be shocked if we see Michael Bunting playing in the top six next year, simply because I don't know who else is going to do it. 
I just don't know if that's a team that you see in April, June, go deep into the playoffs. I think they're going to be, I mean, they should be a playoff team still. That's, that's why, you know, people looking saying, oh, I don't know if this team's any good. How do you rank the teams in the Atlantic today? I really like what Boston did today. I wouldn't have given Felino that money, but in terms of just adding him, I like him. I really like Thomas Nosek. I know we've talked about him a few times. Taylor Hall guy, I'm a, I'm a fan of him. Yeah, Pretty decent. They, brought, they brought back Riley, who was very good for them, who actually had just a good season overall last year. I've never like loved Allmark the way that other people did, especially coming from just a brutal team. Like I don't know how he's going to handle playing in front of a team that knows how to play defense uh, and actually like cover guys that are wide open in the slot. So it'll be kind of interesting to see how he adjusts to that. But I mean, there's reason to at least be optimistic between him and Swayman. All that to say, Florida looks to me, if they get goaltending, I think Florida's a real problem. Sam, Their goaltending is a problem. Sam Reinhardt, that, very good. good hockey player. Of all the problems in Buffalo, he was not one of them. He's one of the best. I don't want to say one of the best, but one of the better 200-foot hockey players in the NHL. He's just so good at everything. I like the fact that he's going to get to play on a team who can actually contend and make the playoffs. I'm looking at the division right now. I think Toronto's the fourth worst team. Fourth best team. Fourth best. I, yes. I don't. I don't think yes. they're as good as Tampa. I don't think anyone does. I don't think they're as good as Boston, and I think Florida's in the process of leapfrogging them. And I haven't seen Toronto make any moves to match what Florida is doing in terms of improving their hockey team. Tampa probably has the best defense on paper in the league still. I think Tampa just has the best team. Them, Colorado. Yeah. They, yeah. they still have their entire top six. I know they lost their third line, but they. They have a few guys that I think are ready to move up and get more responsibility like Matthew Joseph and Colton Ross. So then to me, like people talk about guys like Nick Robertson, they're like, Oh yeah, just like throw them onto the second line. Like you're all good. Like look at a team like Tampa. They had guys like Matthew Joseph work their way up the lineup from the fourth line. And then as guys leave, they promote them within and without the lineup. Like that's a proper actual development path of a guy, not just like, Hey, this guy played in the a for 21 games. Let's hope he comes to the league and, rip shit up and saves our ass. But they never called up Nick Robertson last year after sending him down to the AHL. I think they realized he was, he was hurt. There. Well, he yeah. And he hurt. also wasn't playing that great for anyone who's watching the team closely. He wasn't exactly their best player. Yeah. So I, I have a problem with that sort of development track. I would, I would give them, you know, but so when I look at Tampa, like, like they're still really good. Florida looks really good. Boston still looks really good. I just, that's, that's every my year point here is I, those three teams to Toronto and even though I love Toronto's high-end talent and I, I weirdly like Toronto's defense it still feels weird to say out loud that I like their defensive yeah. core and their defensive system and their team defense and I expect them to be a very above average defensive team next year which I, I've never said those words out loud but I actually believe that I don't know if I don't know if the Leafs have anybody as good as they, they don't have anybody as good as Charlie McAvoy or Aaron Ekblad, debatably even Mackenzie Weger. I was going to say, I don't know. Mackenzie Weger might be the better player on that pair. Jeez. But the, the but the Leafs as a unit might have a better defense than both Boston and Florida, like one through six. I mean, just let's go pairings. Riley, Brody, Muzzin, Hall. As much as we can get frustrated at Hall over McCann, I mean, those are two good pairings. And you're going to have a third pair with either Dermot or Sandine. Crazy idea. Why not both? I would, I would debate. I would actually, I, I, you know, that I like bringing along the young guys slowly. I would legitimately debate putting Dermot alongside Muzzin and Sandine alongside Hole to protect both of them as opposed to throwing, throwing them together and saying, like, I hope you guys aren't shit. I really like that. And it's, again, it's not an indictment on Justin Hall because I think Hall can help protect a Sandine or protect a Dermot. But Jake Muzzin can play with anyone. And I think you need to take advantage of that superpower. Much like Tavares in years past, we knew that Tavares could turn a winger, uh, a third line quality winger into a first line quality winger. He could take a PA parent to a Kyle Poso, insert name and get 30 goals out of that guy. And Jake some Muzzin of the issues... take a replacement level player and turn them into a guy that you trust against the other team's top players. So why not try him with a Dermot? Why not try him with a Lilligan? Why not see if you can get something else out of that roster spot so that all of a sudden you have a supercharged third pair with Justin Hall there? 
And some of those turnover issues Sandin was having were on the right side of the ice, not the left side on his strong side, but on the right side, especially that one where he went up the wall and Perry ran him. He was and on the right side. He made side. that exact same play earlier in the year. Same issue, same concern. You got to make a quicker play there on your offside. This is why I like righties and lefties, right? Because at least then if you have a proper righty who actually understands the league a little bit now and Justin Hole, he's going to be like, okay, you stay on your side of the ice. Don't even cross center. Like, don't even cross like the Mendoza line in the middle of this rink. You just stay on your forehand on the left side. We're going to make your life nice and easy. Hole's a fantastic skater. He's intuitive defensively. I'm just like, I'm going to cover for your ass. Just move the puck when I give it to you and keep things simple. So I don't mind that kind of strategy. So all in all, I look at the Leafs. I think they're, I think they're right there in the mix with, with all those teams. I mean, okay. So like we talked about Florida, they added Sam Reinhardt. Do you think Sam Reinhardt's better than Morgan Riley? Or sorry. Um, not I was going to say, it's such Marner. a bizarre question, but yes. But sorry, uh, what was the question? But do you think he's better than Mitch Marner? No, do I don't. Think, I don't do you think, think that. Do you think Reinhardt-Barkoff is a better combination than Matthews and Marner? I do not. Do you, would you I think it's a more efficient on too? the salary cap, and I think I can add more players fine, like but, Carter Verhage into that equation. Yeah, but you don't add efficiency in the cap when you're playing in an actual game. Do you think... Do you think Bennett and Huberto is going to be a better combination than Tavares and Nylander next year? I think that Bennett contract is going to look brutal for the next few years. Okay, so now suddenly we start getting to a spot where we're like, okay, like, yeah, I like Florida's team. They look good to me. But if you start looking at it and you like actually sit here and think about it and go, okay, actually the Leafs top guys are pretty sick too. And I think people are just having a problem with with dealing with that right now because everyone's just so pissed off at them, which is yeah. today's kind of a therapy session of us accepting things as they are. And, and one of my biggest problems, to be honest, that I've had was some of, I think Kyle Dumas, Dubas's uh, press conferences have been really, really lame. And I'm actually getting upset from them now. I used to watch videos of him all the time. I mean, you know that Sloan Analytics one from, I want to say it was 2015. Mm-hmm. I've quoted yeah. it so many times just because the way that he looks at the game and the words that he'll use and the way that he describes following a good process and trying to use information to make the best decision possible. I truly believe in that, not just in hockey, but in life. And now when I hear him talk, I'm worried because I'm wondering if he's committed to a certain, let's make sure I word this properly. He has a vision and he has an idea of how this team is going to win a Stanley cup. And he is stubborn in that viewpoint. In my opinion, I'm, I'm worried that he's not open to some other ideas, which by the way, that's one of the biggest frustrations I have as an analytics nerd is that the people in the game of hockey won't open their eyes, won't, won't broaden their horizons, won't try different things to achieve success with Kyle Dubas. It's funny, even though he came in as this guy who, had a different way of going about player evaluation and had a different way about going about his business. I'm worried that the same 200 hockey men stubbornness is impacting his ability to ice the best team. Yeah. And he, you know, it's funny cause I don't know why it happens. Cause when, when Brian Burke used to make these comments, people would, would give him shit, but Kyle Dubas the other week made a comment about, you know, like they can't wear like the, the, organizations like history of failure and like the fact that you know he basically said like i haven't been around as long as this organization hasn't been good yeah the 67 jokes yeah i know yeah and you know what i was kind of like i'll be frank on it this is like the nice way of me putting it i was like this is bullshit man like i was i was so angry when i heard it i was just like don't insult me man okay first of all nobody and obviously like almost all my friends are Leaf fans as someone who lives in Toronto. Nobody's talking about 67 that I know of. Nobody's talking about not winning a playoff series in 15 years or whatever. People are talking about 2020, 2019, 2018, People are talking about five years in a row for losing in the first round. And you've been here for all five of those years. You've been here since 2014. So don't give me any shit like, Oh, hey, they didn't like, listen to him when they signed the Patrick Marlowe and the Nikita Zaitsev deals. There, there are some moves that were out of his control for being. And that's frightened. fine. I get that. But he's been here for the five. He's experienced the five. To be honest, he should be experiencing the five harder than anyone else because he actually Shanahan. worked for the team. I'd say Shanahan owns yeah. more of it. But yeah, I think that's Shanahan's it. one. Dubas is two. 
Nobody else in the world has been more intertwined than those two guys from the start. Matthews Riley. I'm, tr- I'm trying to find a way to argue it, but yeah. No, I, what you think 18 year old Matthews is, it was his fault. They lost to a pretty sick Washington team. And then 19 year old Matthews, it was his fault. They lost to a sick Boston team. No, it's, I just, I, I was so, I was so disappointed in him for those comments. Um, to me, that's like, that's really speaking down to what I think is actually a fairly intelligent fan base on the whole. Hey, slow down there. No, Maybe I, just the I people think, we follow. I don't, think, I, don't know. I don't think Leaf fans are as, as, you know, I think the radio station stuff gets people, you know, uh, out of their mind a little bit. But I, I, on the whole, I don't think fans are as dumb as people seem to think that they are. I, I think it's trash to look at them and, and basically say, like, you know, I can only be responsible for what I've been around here for. No, man, like that's not the way this works. If you only want to be responsible for what you've been around for, then go be the general manager of the Arizona Coyotes. Go be the general manager of the Anaheim Ducks. Those are franchises where you don't have to wear any history. You want to be the general manager of the Toronto Maple Leafs? You wear the history. You are now part of the fabric. That is the way this works. This is a storied franchise. This is one of, if not the most significant franchises in the league. You don't get to just come here and say, well, f- well, shit, what? Like, I can't say anything for that. You're 0 for 5 in the first round. You wear everything. We're venting here. It's the end of the podcast. The only people who are still listening are the hardcore listeners. And thank you for making it this far and to listen to us Respect. depressingly ramble about the thing that is, is most dear to our hearts. I, I want to take this last moment to rant about something that I'm very passionate about. And it impacts the hockey world greatly. Montreal Canadiens selected Logan Mayu in the draft. We, we, there's been Twitter fallout. I'm sure everyone's already made their opinion known online and people have had those discussions. But these are topics that we tend to avoid on the podcast. We tend to just talk about the hockey because we feel like it's what we're best at. Me breaking down the numbers and the actual play on the ice. But I'm sorry. This is just something we need to address because this sport, I love. I love it with all my heart. I invest so many hours into watching not just the Toronto Maple Leafs, but other teams and writing about it and talking about it. And do I make a lot of money doing it? Not that much, but I still do it because I love it. And I've been falling out of love with hockey for the last year or two. I'm trying really hard to love it. No, I'm serious here because I want this to be a thing that I care so much about because I played it growing up and I watched hockey night in Canada with my dad and he coached my team growing up. And it's this thing that matters to me, but when the league and teams in the league, like the Montreal Canadians, but there are other teams who would have picked this player basically tell all female fans to go fuck themselves. It drives me insane. And it's the same thing happens with fans of color. It it happens. This is like, catch my breath and rationalize my thoughts here but ian mendez put out something the other day and i I thought it really did a good job of summarizing the situation he said women don't exist in this sport to be a lesson for young men they they don't exist to be uh you know a a chance for a quote-unquote nice kid a really good kid to learn from how about we actually hold people accountable for their actions? Maybe we should do that. Maybe this league that talks about honor, pride, courage, integrity, accountability. Maybe we should actually do something about that and hold the people who make these decisions accountable. It drives me completely insane. One of the interesting things I, I think that's kind of come from it is the Montreal Canadiens are taking the, the bulk of the heat. And I get it within reason. I mean, they did make the pick. They also made the pick because other teams were going to draft him. So they essentially, basically what I'm trying to say is they weren't on an Island that like, it was inherently something that was going to happen across the league. Like someone, if they didn't do it in the first round, somebody was drafting him in the second round and you'll hear, uh, you'll hear some scouts. Right. And, And they'll say like, we want to see the bench and the body language and how the player returns back. So, character we care about character i want 
people to be better. And I, I feel like avoiding these topics on Twitter and on social media and on the podcast, it's the, the silence just allows it to continue. And at some point we need to mention these topics because they matter. I think from the league standpoint, the most startling thing is um, they really lack governance and policies on um, these kinds of issues. And I find that just like, they don't have a sexual uh, like violence policy, right? Which came out from what's happening with the Chicago Blackhawks. And I'm like, where have you guys been? Like, like Ray Rice was in like 2014. Like if, if you didn't have one then, how did you not look at your organization? Like the very next day, every organization with worth any sort of substance should have woken up and said, we need to write this like tomorrow, like yesterday. And it's been seven years since. And Great here's the NHL. The top down. Here's the NHL. And they don't even have a policy. It's like a case by case basis. I'm like, that's bullshit. So they they need to understand like that's just that's just really, really poor management of an organization of any kind, whether it's a sports organization, whether it's a B2C organization, whether it's a B2B organization. If it's literally a professional organization, especially one that's as valuable as the NHL and then to not have that kind of stuff in writing and guidelines and policies that everybody under that umbrella has to adhere to for important things. I just, that's just a really, it's a really bad way of doing business. I think we should end it on that because that's a fantastic way of summarizing. If you actually want to solve the issue, if you actually want to be part of the solution, not part of the problem, maybe start there maybe actually have some kind of framework where we can deal with this instead of just sweeping everything under the rug and putting out a statement in the middle of the free free agency uh, frenzy. Embarrassing, absolutely embarrassing. And it was one of those moments where I was watching the draft and I was excited and it was fun. And then it happened that the pick happened towards the end of the first round there. And it just put a sour taste in my mouth for loving the sport. Cause I just go, damn, like, why do I love this? Why do, why do, why do I love a sport that won't love its fans back. You know, female fans, you're watching this. What are you thinking? I, I got to think it just stings on a personal level. And I can't imagine what it feels like right now for anyone who's been a, a victim of sexual violence. It's just, I don't like talking about these things because they're difficult to talk about, but we, I think that's why we need to talk about them. So I'm going to sign off here. We'll be back next week to talk about more Leafs frustrations and hopefully not as many NHL frustrations, but geez, man, do something about your product because you're better than this. I'm out of here.